Welcome, and thanks for joining us for this episode of the C3 Church Podcast. You're about to listen into a message from one of our gatherings. To find out more about our community, where we gather both in person and online, and how to get involved, head to cfreechurch.ca. Now, let's listen into a message from a recent service. Hey, would you stand with me for a minute? We're going to read, we're going to read the scripture again that, we, uh, that Christopher read. You know, in the early church, they always read the scripture. Um, it wasn't read to them. They read it together. And it's just a great thing. In fact, if you remember the verse that, that um, Paul gives, he says, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. It's because in his context, it made a lot of sense because they were always hearing the word of God. And they said, if you're, when you get together and you're listening to the word of God, that's when your faith is stronger. So we're just gonna, I'm going to invite you today, we're going to put up on the screen, uh, and I'm reading the New Living Translation, but we're going to read the same passage we read earlier, but I'd love to have you read along with me, okay? I read it here, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved for you in heaven, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in that last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of joy, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the solution of your soul, the salvation of your souls. Can't read my own writing. Come on, stay standing. We're going to pray. Father, we thank you today for your word. Because God, you said that your word would change us and it would affect our lives and that we could live our lives based on your word. And so, Father, today, as we just kind of unpackage what Peter writes to the churches, God, we ask that you would open up our hearts. God, we'd have an expectation, God, that we're going to get something that's going to shift our life this week. It's going to help us live better lives. It's going to help us live lives that are more in tune with you. And God, that we're going to be able to, uh, to walk in joy in a season that's often not full of joy, but God, we're going to stand out in the, in the way that we have our joy in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, give somebody a high five before you sit down. Oh, you didn't see that one coming. All right. Uh, I'm going to give that uh, to Blair. Blair inspired me on that this morning as he came and said, give me a high five. And I went, oh, I didn't know old people did that. Uh, sorry. <laughs> awesome. Hey, <laughs> Uh, I, I, my message today is, is, is titled, So Joyful I'm Speechless, but I, I want to do something with this message today. We're going to look at 1 Peter, but I, what I want to do something today, and if you're writing notes, I, I'd really love if you write this down. You write down, if you reframe your life, you'll regain your joy. If you reframe your life, you'll regain your joy. Wow. Right? Because our joy is not dependent upon our life. It's dependent upon how we see our life. Yes. You know, it's interesting. I love what my wife said when she was talking about giving. And she said, we don't give to need. You know why we don't give to need? Because we give out of generosity. We give because we are generous, not because there's a need. 
Because if we do things based on our circumstances, we'll never grow. We'll only react. Right? And so when we, we give out of who we are, then we give because we're generous, not because there's a need. It doesn't mean we don't give to needs. It means that our motivation is there. And so it's the same thing. It's very similar with joy. When we talk about joy, that real joy does not come and is not dependent upon what you're going through in life. That's just a reaction. What we go through in life is not the determination of how we feel about life. Because people go through tough things, and yet they feel great about life. In fact, I'm often humbled when I encounter people who've gone through stuff that I cannot even begin to imagine what they've gone through. And I, and I hear their story, and I go, I don't, even, I don't even know how you did this. We have a person in our church, and I won't use their name, but a person in the church, they were, they were part of a, a family of Christians in a, in a Muslim country. And uh, as a result of that, they were, well, I shouldn't say as a result of that, but they were running a bit of a, an in-house publishing company, producing Christian educational material for kids wow. in a Muslim nation. And uh, they started getting a lot of death threats and things, and so they looked to a place to immigrate, to get out of there, to, uh, to get out of that dangerous situation. And they en ended up uh, immigrating to Thailand on a temporary visa because that was the only place in the world that would accept them. It's pretty crazy. Their intention was to come to Canada and they're in Canada now, but while they were in Thailand, they spent eight years waiting to get a visa. Now you'd, say, you'd think if you've been to Thailand, you'd think that's okay, I don't mind living in Thailand. The problem with it is that his visa expired, his, his entry visa into Thailand expired while he was waiting to get to Canada, so he was placed into a detention camp in Thailand. I don't know if any of you have ever seen the movie Broken Palace. If you don't look it up, Broken Palace is kind of give you an idea about what some of the conditions in a detention camp would be like, and he tells the story, he says, we were so crowded in the room that we slept in that we could not all sleep at the same time. We had to take shifts to sleep in the room that we were in. And he said, when the, when the uh, uh, directors or the warden or whatever it was who ran the detention center, when they were upset with us or when we'd done something wrong, they would shut the water off to the compound. He said, one time it was shut off for three months. I have no idea. And he tells that with a smile on his face. And he loves Jesus. Yeah. I, I can't imagine if my joy was dependent upon that. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I mean, in all honesty, as North American Christians or just people in general, we're, we're pretty pathetic. <laughs> what, what we're willing to put up with, we just complain. We complain, oh, it's so, so rough for us. That's a, we, we need to get a reframing. Yeah. If we reframe our life, we'll maybe regain real joy. So I, I, I want to look at, at what Peter says here in 1 Peter, because I think it's, he, he says a lot. So here, let's, let's get a context first of what Peter's, who Peter's talking to. First of all, this is a letter that the Apostle Peter, do you remember Peter, James, and John? Peter, the guy who walked on the water with Jesus. Peter, the guy who had a big, loud mouth and kept getting himself into trouble. That's the Peter. He's writing this letter to a whole bunch of churches in what at that time was considered Asia. And uh, he writes to all these different Christians who have kind of gotten dispersed around the world. So it's kind of a global letter. 
And uh, what we know about this is that it's a letter. So what Peter's writing is he's not, he's, he's kind of not writing a, a, a doctrine. He's not writing, he's not writing a list of rules. He's not prescribing things. He's actually just describing life, right? So he's not, he's not saying do this, do this, do this. He's saying, this is just how life is. And uh, he's, he's talking to a group of people that are um, going through some stuff. And, and I told that first story because I want you to understand the stuff they were going through is stuff that we wouldn't maybe be able to quickly identify with. He, uh, he's writing to a church that at least some of, or uh, numerous churches, at least some of the churches had been experiencing persecution. In fact, uh, Wayne Grudem, who does a commentary on First Peter, he says this, he says, we have specific evidence of violent opposition to the gospel from the time it first reached some of the cities to which Peter was writing, at least Sidian, Antioch, Iconium, and nearby Lystra, and Ephesus, if Ephesus is to be counted as a likely recipient of the letter. It's not named in the letter, but it's right in the same area, so it's assumed that they probably got it. And it's not unreasonable to think that similar opposition would have broken out from time to time in the other cities to which Peter was writing. The government at that time, Roman government, the emperor was a guy by the name of Nero. Anybody ever heard the name Nero before? Uh, Nero is typically historically understood as being a very cruel ruler. There's a, uh, we think it's a bit apocryphal. It's a bit of a legend that uh, while Rome burned, that uh, Nero played his violin while he watched Rome burn. Um, we don't know if Nero actually played a violin or what that was, and it's probably just a story, but it was there to illustrate the kinds of things that Nero did. In fact, one of the early Roman uh, historians, a guy by the name of Tacitus, he said, he said uh, and tells us that, that one of the things that Nero did to Christians is he would, he would take the skins of wild animals and he would put them on these Christians and then he would let dogs attack them. Kill them. That's the time that Peter's writing to. So he's writing to a group of people who, when he talks about uh, difficulties, when he talks about encountering things that aren't pleasant, he, he's, he's not talking about my bank account's empty after Christmas. He, 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 he's not talking about I have a sliver and I can't get it out. Kind of the things that, he, he, he's not talking about somebody looked at me wrong and now I'm mad. He's not talking uh, about those kinds of things. He's not talking about family gatherings at Christmas. He's talking about some really serious, severe stuff that he's talking about. But as Peter talks about this in this passage, I, I want you to understand something. He, he doesn't suggest to us in any way that hard times are optional. Hard times happen. It's part of what we do. But I, 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 love, how, I, I love how Peter kind of kind of starts this story and, and tries to help, help us reframe our life so we can regain our joy. So in, the, in verse 3, he, he starts talking about it. If we can just throw that up there, Josh, it would be awesome. And in verse 3, he, he lays out, this is the most incredible verse. This is a, and I'll just say to you, this has got a lot of theological doctrinal value. 
And by that I mean is right from the very beginning, Peter says, hey, I, I want you to frame your life with these kinds of criteria. I want you to build a frame around how you see your life like this. First of all, blessed be God. You know, that verse alone, that little phrase alone is really kind of con contrary to culture. We, we would probably, in the Western world, we'd probably describe that or we'd say this as, blessed be me. Uh, I'm happy because things are going well for me. And if things don't go well for me, pity the person who crosses my path. Uh, it's, it's, it's about, so, so, so Peter establishes this and as, as believers in Jesus, as those that have committed our life to him. The thing is, this, it's, it's actually about him. One of the things that we did is we came into relationship with Jesus, and he talks about this. He says, he's caused us to be born again. We, we started over, we are, and, and literally, if you think about it, being born again, not in a physical sense, but in a spiritual sense, is a new framing of your life. We've been, uh, you ever watch Hedgehog Day? Or Groundhog Day, Hedgehog, Groundhog. I mean, you know, it's Christmas, you get hedgehogs. Groundhog Day, yeah, it's a different day, Groundhog Day, you know. Just kept, keep repeating your day. All, you know, it's a duo every, every day. It looks like hell. Like, it looks horrible. It looks like not something I'd want to be doing. You, every day you get up and you start all over and you forget about it. You just, you know, and, and you get a chance to do it again. It's, this is not what, what Peter's talking about, but Peter is talking about a new start, but not... <laughs> Keep repeating the same things you did before. He's talking a new start because now we get to reframe our life into the future and re-see what God wants for us. So the first thing he says is that we reframe our life in this context. I want to live my life so Jesus is blessed. That's quite a remarkable thing. I want to live my life so Jesus happy. I used to, I, I sometimes say to myself or say to people, I say, I, I, I want to live my life to put a smile on God's face. When God looks at what I'm doing and how I'm living, I, I'd like him to smile. I, I, you know, my wife and I, we've been married uh, 42 years. I can't believe that. I, I, I never forget that, you know, but suddenly it's, it's just so long. And uh, <laughs> it's just a long time. <laughs> And, 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 and Jim and Carol said, that's not long at all, you know. <laughs> You've only started. And uh, you guys are just like two months married. Congratulations, by the way. I haven't seen you since the wedding. Congratulations. So exciting. And uh, um, where was I? Okay. So with, I don't remember where I was. And uh, I, know, I, I know I've been married 42 years. I remember that one, but I forgot what I was going to say because I was married for 42 years. <laughs> Uh, I forgot what I was going to say. But so Peter is talking here, and he, he's just saying, hey, born again, starting all over, we reframe our life, and we see things differently about our future and about our circumstances if we're not trying to live so I feel good. Yeah. Jesus, there's, a, there's a whole realm of thought in our world. That's, if, if, it, if it doesn't feel good to me, it's not right. And Peter's trying to help us reframe our whole idea of what joy feels like, our whole idea of what that feels like by it's not what happens to me, it's who's blessed. I want to put a smile on God's face. I know that when I, when I look at my wife and we're having a conversation 
and she's not smiling at me? I, I know life isn't good. Uh, I, I, sometimes I, you know, I say I live for God's smile, but the truth is I, a lot of times I'm living for Kim's smile because that's, that's when I know things are good. And we're saying, but there, there's something about living our life for somebody else, not ourselves. And, and I'm kind of sitting on this for a little bit because it's really, really a difficult thing for us to grasp. Because everything in our world, everything in our culture encourages us to think about ourselves. We complain about our salary because we don't get enough. We are advertised to, and suddenly what we didn't need before we watched the commercial, now we need desperately. Because we've seen that, and we need something else. Most of us are not lacking. Most of us have too much and need to get rid of some stuff. It's a different. We have an I world. We have a me world. When Peter's saying, hey, let's frame it in terms of God. But the second part of this that he says, it's, it's in the next verse. And uh, if you can turn it on. He says uh, that... That we've been born again through Jesus Christ, but there's a purpose for it, and it's, it's to obtain an inheritance. Now, I, I, I want to just explain a little bit that, the idea that Peter's trying to explain. Peter's talking about um, a future um, state. It's, it's a future place for us. It's the same kind of thing when Jesus said, he said, I go to prepare a place for you, a room for you in my house. And Peter's talking about, because he's wanting us, again, we're re reframing our life. He's wanting us to understand that we reframe it. First, we're living for God, but we're also living for something in the future. Yeah. It's an inheritance and it's guaranteed, but it's something in the future. And if, one way of saying it's, it's, like, it's like kept in heaven for us, there's a reservation. In... Uh, Kim and I have to go to Cranbrook this afternoon, and we're staying overnight in Cranbrook. So last night, I, I made a reservation so that I knew when I got there, there was something there for me. But the interesting thing about that is you actually have to be a little bit forward-thinking to make reservations. Right? I, I don't know if you've ever showed up somewhere and thinking you could get in and discover that it's full. It's happened a couple times now. So you're, you're thinking forward. So what Peter's trying to say is saying, by telling, reminding you of your reservation about your inheritance, I want you to not only live your life believing God wants to be blessed, but I also want you to live your life thinking about the fact that we frame it eternally. Now that's a really, really important concept that Peter's introducing, that we frame our life in a context that's bigger than our lifespan. There's a whole lot of stuff that don't seem important when I look back. When we got married 42 years ago, we, uh, we only knew each other for eight months. And um, which, that's great. Um, we, we learned a lot in 42 years. But when we, we got married, we had... Um, well, we not only did we know each other only eight months, but we decided 13 days before our wedding day that we were going to get married. So the middle of August, we went, hey, let's get married uh, a week from Saturday. And we went, you know, we're 19. Sure, why not? You know, how hard can that be, right? 
in a lot of ways, you know, a lot of ways planning that wedding, as far as I know, was fairly simple because there was only one hall available. There was only one photographer. There was only one florist. So it was, you know, it was late. Uh, it was a good thing some things were available. Mother-in-law was a, a jeweler, so rings were an easy deal. Uh, you know, stuff was, we just, we just, that, that was it. We just got married on, on fairly short notice. But uh, when, when we decided to do that and we decided to, to get married, we didn't think about the future a lot. We thought about getting married right now or burn with passion, you know, all that stuff. And we're 19. And uh, so we didn't, we didn't kind of project. And so we made some decisions. So here, in our wedding, we had a we had a friend of her, her, one of her friend's mothers sang a song. What was the song? Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. How, how super spiritual. We were 19, but super spiritual. I was in Bible college. And uh, we'd never heard her sing before, but it was our song. Right? It was our song. And... So a few, a, a few, a couple of months later, so my best man was my roommate at college, and, uh, and they were, him and his fiance were getting married next year, and he asked me to be his best man. I thought, that's pretty cool, you know, I'm going to be his best man. And so he, they were getting closer to the wedding, and they start telling us, you know, what they're going to do, and they're going to have somebody sing, surely the presence of the Lord's in our place, in this place. Well, we went, hang on, that's our song. Like, that's, you know, 13 days notice, that's the only thing we had. You know, <laughs> it's our song. And, and, and I went to him, I said, look, would you, would you consider, or please, it, was, it wasn't even consider. It, it meant a lot to Kim, and I went to the guy, I went to my friend, and, and I said, hey, you know, would you please pick a different song? Please. It's our song. Like, it means a lot to us. And he said to me, you know what he said to me? He said, be easier to get a new best man than to get a new song. I didn't go to their wedding. <laughs> what an idiot. I, I, I arranged to get some work, so I didn't go to their wedding. Kim was at their wedding, but I, I didn't go to the wedding. We've, we've, we're still friends, sort of. They live in Cologne. I see them once in a while. But here, here's the thing. Here, here's, here's the thing. Looking back, I go, how stupid that was. Estupido. Estupida idea estupida. I mean, bad idea. Really stupid idea. And if I could have had a longer perspective, I would have had a different response. If I'd have been able to reframe my immediate situation with an inheritance in eternity in mind, I would have behaved differently. And our, so our, our difficulty a lot of the times is that, that we, we haven't reframed our situation, so we're, we're, we're looking at a two-day window, or we're looking at a one-year window, or we're looking at whatever. Friend, uh, Pastor Phil says, he says, if, if we're going through something and and, you know, when we get through it, we go, hey, we'll laugh about this later. If we're going to laugh about it later, we'll just laugh about it now. Right. Part of perspective. 
right? So we have to reframe our life in order to regain our joy. We need to have a long perspective. But I, I want to get into a couple things real quick here, a little, little more deeply. Galatians chapter 3, verse 18, it says, um, For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it's no longer dependent on the promise, but, his, but God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. It's, it's, it's a promise. It's not something we're earning. It's not something we're doing. It's there, but keep it in mind. Right? Keep it in mind. Get, a, get an eternal framework. But I want to just key in in the next, last few minutes. I want, I want to key in in two words. It's about joy. It's about, but there's, there's two words that, that Peter uses kind of repetitively in this passage. First one is this word faith. He actually uses faith or hope in the, the original language, faith or hope. He, he uses that word five times in these six verses. And anytime a uh, biblical author uses the same word over and over again, they're trying to make a point. You know, it's, it's like when we are trying to teach our kids how to do something and we tell them to do it and then we tell them again. And then we tell them again, then we ask them to repeat it back to us. And then, we did, and then we ask them if they heard what we said. And then we tell them again because we're trying to make a point. Right? And, and in the same way, Peter's doing the same thing. He's trying to make this point about faith. He's trying to say, hey, faith, faith is important. But, I, but what he's saying about faith is actually, again, really important. We have this idea that, that faith means I have faith for things. Right? And, you know, it, it, they're great things. We have, you know, I have faith for finances. I have faith for healing. I have faith for... But that's actually not the biblical concept of faith. Right. If, if you look in farther on, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, he says this. He says, through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. So your faith and hope are in God. Well, one of the things, and I think it's kind of our Western way of reading the Bible, is, is that we read the Bible that, that God's given us faith so we can get things. And there might be good things, relationships, healing, restoration, all those kinds of things, but we read it that way. But what the biblical sense of faith really is, is that I am having faith, I am believing in one who is faithful. My faith is not dependent on what happens. My faith is dependent upon who is. Do you see that the, continually this the little reframing that Peter's trying to do for us? Trying to get that focus off of us onto something else? See, we can use our Christian faith a lot of times just to try to get more for ourselves. And our motivation becomes that. In fact, James talks about that. We, we pray and things don't happen because we're just trying to get it for ourselves. But here, Peter's sharing in a different way. Faith is, our faith is in someone who is faithful. I, I know that I can go through my day-to-day -day because God will be faithful. Yes. I know that no matter what happens in my life, no matter whether I feel like things are going good or going bad, I can stand assured on the, the fact that God will be faithful. His very name means I am who I am, or, or I will be who I will be. His very name, Jehovah, we sing it today, Jehovah is I am. It's this certainty of I'm, I am, I am. 
It's not I will be, it's not, or sorry, it's not, not I'll be if something happens, or I'll be around only if, or this. It's I am. This sense of God. And so our hope, our faith, as Peter says, he says it needs to be in him. In him. So when, when we do that, then, then faith can be refined. Now, here's this other thing that Peter says. This is the thing we don't like. This is the one we don't like. But stay with me. This is the one we don't like. He says, he says your faith is going to get tested. It says tribulations. It says, <laughs> it's interesting because it says various tests. There's, there's not just one test to prove your faith. <laughs> they just keep coming at you. They just keep coming to proving your faith. But remember, it's not our faith in getting something. It's our faith in believing in him. That is what gets challenged. COVID comes along and it challenges us, right? We get hurt in church and it challenges us. We see somebody that we respect and admire fall morally and it challenges our faith. It tests it, right? We, we go through stuff. We experience things that we didn't want and it challenges, God, are you still there? And so Peter's trying to bring us back to that point. He says in verse 5, verse 9, I love it. He says, resist him. He's talking about the devil. Stand firm in the faith. Because you know that the family believers throughout the world is undergo. I don't like the rest of this verse. I don't like it. He says, stand firm in faith because you know people that are going through stuff. What's, what's, what's Peter actually saying? He's saying, I'm, I'm just reminding you that's happening there. It's coming your way too. I know. What a sermon of joy, huh? Stuff's going to happen, but let, let's, let's, let's look at the joy part of this. Reframe our life. We regain our joy. Starting to feel a little reframing of your life here? So Peter also likes the word Rejoice. He uses it in two times, but, but he actually uses it three times. He just uses it twice, but he uses it three times. He says, in, he, says, he says, rejoice greatly, and then he talks about your faith. And then he talks about your faith being tested. So he says, I, I know you're already rejoicing. But now your faith is going to get tested. And, and, and the way that they describe testing is probably we need to understand it's, it's more the sense of he, your, your, your faith is being proven. It's being authenticated. It's like two-factor authentication. You get that text that means you've got to ensure that it's you. It's, you're going through something difficult because God's saying, I need to authenticate that this is the faith in you. And when that happens, you come out on the other side of that. And this is where Peter says something in, in verse 8. He says, this is where Peter uses this interesting expression. He talks about you believe because you, even though you haven't seen him, you love him. But then at the end of it, he says, you're going to rejoice with immeasurable, inexplicable, and the word is actually speechless, and, and glory. But... What he says there is, it, it actually, and the English translation doesn't bring it out really good, but he says you're going to rejoice joyfully. It's like, rejoice, rejoice. So you go into, 
You start off, before your faith is tested, happy, joyful. Then you go through something really tough. Your faith in God is challenged and tested, and at the other end of it then, your joy doubles. You rejoice, rejoice, in it, it, your joy leaves you speechless. It's true, though. We don't usually rejoice before the test. We rejoice after it. A few weeks ago, our oldest granddaughter got her, got her in. That's a big deal. And I'm old now. And uh, she got her in. She, had, she bought our car. And I, so I happened to be there. It was the second time she was taking it. Don't tell her I told you. But second time she was taking it. So she was kind of nervous about this second test. And we talked all the way down to the driver's exam place. And she was nervous about it. And she was, you know, a little, little tense. And she, she didn't think she was going to fail the first time. But she did. And so she's trying to do it, you know, two months later. Take this test. And, and so we, I, I sat with her mom and dad in the, in the driver's exam licensing area while, they went, while she went out with the examiner. Went around for 20 minutes. And... We, and I saw her drive back in, back into the spot. And I said, oh, she's back. And her mom went out to wait for her, and she's in the car a long time. I thought, oh, you know, you know when you're looking at situations, you're always trying to analyze them, aren't you? you know, we go through stuff and say, what's this mean? What's it, what's it mean? What's it trying to do? What's happening here? And I'm looking, and she's sitting there a long time. I don't know. I don't want her to, you know, I'm worried. Is she second time, you know, having to take it a third time? I mean, I'm kind of, you know, God help her, please. You know, Jesus, come, you know. Too late, but it's because she's already done the exam. But, you know, then I started to get out of the car. And the moment she got out of the car, I knew she passed. I could see it on her. She skipped across the parking lot with the biggest smile on her face and thumbs up because her joy increased after it was tested. Once your faith is proven, then your joy gets higher. Here's the last reframe. So if you really want more joy, ask for more testing. Yeah? Am I reframing it for you today? Let me give you this kind of concluding thought. In church and in our world, we have a mentality that says, let's avoid discomfort at every cost. We do everything to avoid being uncomfortable. Some of us, we even make our decision about whether we liked the service or not by whether it made us uncomfortable or not. We make initial impressions about people by whether they made us uncomfortable or not. We get on the, complaint, on the airplane and go somewhere, and our trip is wholly determined by whether we thought the seat was comfortable. We complain when we don't feel comfortable. Some of you will remember this, but back, I think it's 1988, Tylenol in Chicago 
a number of people opened up Tylenol containers before all of the tamper-proof lids. And somebody had put, in, put uh, I believe it was arsenic or something, uh, some type of poison in some of them. And seven people died from Tylenol. The founders of Tylenol, the, the executive officers of Tylenol, they were so stressed about it because they said, we're going to, and they pulled all the Tylenol all across North America off the shelves. They, they were sure that pain relief was done for the Tylenol brand. What they discovered though, is that once they began introducing it, their sales actually increased. We're addicted to pain relief. We're addicted to comfort. And, and as a result of that, we look to our circumstances for a reason to be joyful. And what I'm encouraging, imploring, asking you today is say, can we reframe that, please? This is not our circumstances that will determine my joy. Remember somebody one day, they saw a bumper sticker that says, have, a, have an awesome day. And he said, don't, tell, don't you tell me how to, what kind of day I'm going to have. It sounded kind of snide and rude, but actually there's a lot of truth in it. You can't tell me what kind of day I'm gonna have. My circumstance, here, here's what Peter said, don't let your circumstances tell you what kind of day you're gonna have. Don't let how hard your marriage is tell you what kind of marriage you're gonna have. Don't let how hard your relationship is tell you what kind of relationship you're gonna have. Don't let church hurt tell you what kind of church experiences you're gonna have. Come on, let's reframe it. God would be blessed. And I know on the other side of this, I'm going to have so much, so much reason to rejoice. I'm going to be able to rejoice in a way I never could before. In fact, it leaves me speechless thinking about it. That's what Peter says. Thanks for tuning in today. Each week, we gather in cities across our region and online to explore the truth of freedom available to all in the message of Jesus Christ. To find a gathering near you or to find out more, head to c3church.ca.